It's your opinionated contour dominatrix friend money witch demon whisperer alleged demon queen business bitch and five percenter and today I have on with us Trav from the Major Society and Trav will be talking with us about the occult about some big of the main misconceptions what to do what not to do the pitfalls how to get successful how to be productive and much 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 more Get on it with us here at Fearless Well. It is your opinionated contour dominatrix friend, Money Witch, Demon Whisper, Alleged Demon Queen. And today at Fearless Wealth, we have a epic person with us. Travis. Hi. Greetings. The famous greetings. Can you do that again, please? Greetings. <laughs> that has become such a trademark of you. And everyone is always like waiting for you to say that in your videos. So um, can you tell us who you are, what you do? <laughs> yes. Yes. And first of all, thank you so very much for having me on on your show here. I really appreciate that. Um. <clears throat> Yeah, so basically, uh, if I have to title myself, I call myself an occult scientist, and I'm very passionate and dedicated to, I guess for lack of better words, finding the truth behind ultimate reality. So I spend all my time researching through different occult books and, you know, through history and anywhere where I can really get a lead on what any of this magic stuff is really all about. So I spend most of my time studying and practicing what I learn. And then I spend the other part of my time, uh, you know, I guess more or less teaching other people or consulting other people. You know, basically I have a group where we meet biweekly and we talk about what we've been studying, what we've been practicing and just digging into the material together. So is that organized in a sense that y'all have a specific topic that y'all study together and then get back on it and discuss that topic or is it just everything and ev anything? Yeah. So it's gradually evolved. Of course, order always comes out of chaos. It started out more random. Everything is everything. But over time we started to focus on specific books, um, reading them together and then putting our findings together as I found that that uh, really accelerates the learning because we're all going in the same direction. Mm. Oh, I love that. And you have a pretty big group. Like I remember um, first getting my first dipping my toes in the online occult. Because um, before that, I didn't even know there was an, an online occult like scene. Yeah. And you have like a pretty big and dedicated group. Like you have serious people in your group. How many How many members do you have? Like a few thousands, right? Yes. So I guess counting the Facebook, you know, it, shit, I lost count. I'm sure it's close to 4,000 or so. Um but like the inner circle where we're actually doing the work together, you know, obviously it's it's a lot smaller. But um, you know. That's where the diehards are. Yes. I love that. So um you have been quite a few times a topic of debate and discussion within me and my people. Uh oh. Because no no, like in a good way, right? Like I, I was I like to surround myself with people who have opposite views that I do or belief systems. 
Um, especially in the occults, because like there's very little evidence. Like we can just throw loud opinions at each other, but like very little can back it up by actual actual evidence. Yes. Um. So, please correct me if I have it wrong. But you are of belief that, um, if we speak of terms like demons, angels, uh, whatever type of entities, they're a part of of our psyche, like our inner being. Is that correct? I would say yes, in the sense that our psyche is the closest way that we can experience those things that we call angels, demons, and spirits and all that. Do they have their own consciousness outside of us? To get to the bottom line, from what I've seen, there is only one consciousness. Okay, okay. And we all exist as uh, different degrees of that one consciousness. Okay, you need to tell us more about this. Okay. Um, and I, I I love the scientific approach that even you're talking about. You know, it's it's dangerous just to believe something because it sounds good or because somebody you love said it. You know, so I call myself an occult scientist as opposed to just an occultist because I, too, like to be able to figure out uh, the essence behind things in such a way that it can be experienced by other people. You know what I mean? Because what separates what I'm doing from just make believe. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be um, for me to be able to have, to lead someone else to have an experience just like that. So um, geez, what was the question you just asked? No, just how you, how you, um, how, how you came to your personal conclusion of that. We are like this one consciousness and we experience it to different degrees. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I've been doing a lot of, searching into free will, right? Um, And it's hard to have that conversation with people because most people just spout out, you know, what they believe off rip. But I like to dig deep into things. And I've been looking into like, say, philosopher Schopenhauer. And he like, he states that we don't have free will because, you know, most people say, I do what I want. But his question is, where do those wants come from, right? Mm -hmm. I look into psychology and I, I see, you know, easily that, the things that we do and say are influenced by our memories, by our likes and our dislikes and the other things that are attached to our body experience. But see, psychology didn't come up with that. As a matter of fact, there's nothing new under the sun. Like the Bible says, this these concepts of influence date all the way back to ancient India, where the very first documents were written on spirituality. And they state that, um, you know, there is only one consciousness and our individual objective experiences, right, our tangible five sense experience, they limit the the awareness of that one consciousness. So everything that I touch, taste, smell, feel, and hear and all that stuff, I have opinions about them. <clears throat> I have attachments to them. And that's what blinds me from ultimate consciousness because I believe I'm separate from the all, so to speak. Mm-hmm. How did you get to, because you, you are quite knowledgeable and in a, in a variety of, um, you know, spiritual topics. How did you get to this place? Where, like how, where did you start where, when you were like four or five years old? How did your spiritual or life outlook look back then? And how did it evolve to where you are right now? Okay. <clears throat> It's hard to say where the original spark came from, because as long as I can remember, I've always been extremely curious about 
God and the truth. You know, I say the truth because it's hard to really explain what that is, but I've always wanted to know what it was. Um, I remember clearly going to church, being forced to go to church, you know, by grandparents and whatnot. And they meant well, but I go there and I ask these questions, you know, I'm, I don't know, seven years old, 11 years old, asking like, where are the dinosaurs in the Bible? Why do these old other cultures talk about these other gods? What does this mean? What does that mean? And I could never get good, clear answers, right? I, I always got um, bypassed or given something generic that wasn't really substantial. So even before high school, I remember I made a resolve to find the connecting line between all religions, to find the commonality. That has always been my quest since I was a kid. Um, and of course, that really started when I started listening to heavy metal and rock music and Slipknot and Marilyn Manson and all that stuff. I used to love Marilyn Manson, right? So that led mm. me to reading his autobiography, which led me to other books and, um, you know, the Satanic Bible, Necronomicon and things like that. And that started my first book buying spree. I'd say probably the year 2000, you know, my first book buying spree. 2000. That's like five years ago, right? <laughs> Feels like it. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Oh boy. 2000. Hmm. And um, are you like an uh, open occultist scientist? Like do the people around you know what you stand for, what you do, or is it kind of like a, um, I don't want to say secret, but kind of like a hidden from the, from the public eye practice. Mm -hmm. Well, this is very much my life. You know, this is, I'm, I'm literally this 24, seven, 25, eight, you know, 366. Mm. Um, anyone who knows me knows that this is what I'm about. It's been that way for quite some time. It's just, uh, when I did have to work a nine to five, it wasn't so obvious, I'd say, but, um, you know, I, I used to not post about these things on Facebook because I didn't want to upset family and other friends, but, um, that became too much of a hassle, too much of a struggle. There was no point doing that. I have to live 100% free. You know, I have to get that off my chest so I can continue my quest, continue doing what I'm doing. I can't worry about other folks anymore. Beautiful. What, what, what did you feel back then were, um, what were some of the fears or perhaps even like actual experiences of of you know your family or friends who didn't understand your practice and and your life quest um like some misconceptions they had perhaps or some judgment yeah definitely the judgment thing you know I, I was worried about what my grandma would think what my dad and my mom would think it was put into me at a young age you know what i did was a representative of my father's name or my mother so i didn't want them to be upset at how someone would perceive me. And, you know, they told me it would reflect on them. So I'm so busy worrying about everyone else's opinions of themselves that I wasn't taking into consideration, you know, my internal well-being, but mostly the mm. judgment thing. And what were the responses after you slowly like gotten more public and more, you know, close to your inner truth? Hmm. <laughs> It's kind of funny. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I want to say that there was a subconscious distance that became, I mean, that no one in my family or my friends ever really r responded negatively or anything like that. It's just uh, a natural distance occurred. You know, I, I 
have no ill will towards anyone, especially my family, but we, I don't really have much relationship anymore with people from my, my past. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, um, I always feel like when us humans make an individual choice that it's somehow that other, other people perceive our choice as like some, somehow like a judgment onto them. Mm. And I used to use the exact, like I used to be, I'm, I'm vegetarian. I used to be vegan. Um, so I would always bring my own food. Right. And like, no, like no conversation. So people would see me with my own little like box. Yeah. Um, and they would be like, Oh, you're vegan. I'm like, yeah. Oh, well I don't. And then, you know, that they would like have these responses like, Oh, I'm not because I don't and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I didn't fucking ask you. <laughs> I'm just you're fucking mining what are you defending yourself for yeah. and I feel that is the same um in like when we get in, onto the occult quest that the kind of the religious people especially right they have this like visceral response to that like oh but 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 yeah and I'm oh I'm like, okay it's it's funny how that happens I'd have to say that has a lot to do with insecurity and a lot to do with, um, you know, just uh, the other people not really understanding who they are themselves. Absolutely. I think, I think too many people um, use any form of external authority, um, especially religion has completely beautifully utilized that as a, a kind of a crutch um, to live life passively, right? Because this external being, these external circumstances, they grace you perhaps with luck or bad luck, um, but it, it happens outside of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're kind of like, you know, it happens to you versus where most cultists kind of operate with the notion, no, I make life happen to whatever type of extent. And I like to work with the energies, whether they're outside of me or inside of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, I think that troubles your, like the the notion of how we perceive identity, right? Like if, if I've always told you like, and I'm pointing at something blue right now, yo, this is blue. And someone starts to tell me, no, this is actually yellow and like convinced. And for him, it's yellow. Like I'm going to question myself, like, wait, but what, what does this even say about me that I always thought it was blue? Like what? So am I, was I wrong? We, we, We don't like to be wrong. Right, right. Am I bad for thinking this is blue? Like, is there something wrong with me? Hmm. I think... Which is basic psychology. Sorry, go. No, no, you're good. Yeah, it's basic psychology. I think that is a good example of kind of pointing in the direction that I'm currently studying with consciousness and how our objective reality, you know, our our independent slice of things, uh, by the nature of how it is limits us from the experience of that ultimate consciousness. So what I mean is we have all these things around us and we see that object as blue. You know, like you said, someone else could see it as uh, cyan or uh, what's another sweet blue color? Royal blue. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. Right. But what, what is that? You know, it's, it's labels. It's these definitions that we, we put on things those labels that we use to designate and differentiate things are one of the massive layers that separates the awareness of ultimate consciousness. You know, these ancient people, tens of thousands of years ago, have a map of consciousness. And at the very top of it is this ultimate consciousness. 
and it combines with matter. And the very first thing that comes out of that combination of the divine masculine and feminine is what's called intellect. And not so much the intellect that we think of, the ability to think. It's a divine cosmic intellect. And they say its defining quality is the ability to decipher this from that. So that's the first uh, separation from God, the ability to decipher this from that. Now, the very next thing that evolves from that ability is ego consciousness. Now, that has nothing to do with Kanye West or Donald Trump. Ego consciousness is that essence within our being that makes us think that we are separate. From that point, we begin to develop uh, the five senses and, um, you know, the ability to hear and taste and the five elements and everything else that magic talks about. I love that. So, oh, this is so potent. So good. So good. So good. Mm. We're, we're bursting bubbles here. I love it. Yes. So in, in a, in an internet time and era, um, you know, we, we live full of clickbait and all this world and you publicly speak about working with specific demons and angels. Um, and would you tell us a little bit more on how you perceive those terms? Um, are they, you know, like, you know, they, like they don't originate from Christianity, but right. Christianity has kind of demonized the words and like rebranded mm -hmm. the language around it. So how would you describe, um, those terms for someone who is completely blank or has these miscon misconceptions. Okay. Yeah, that's real good. That's real good. Mainly it's real good because sometimes just hearing those words automatically puts a bad flavor in the mouth, right? A, a devout Christian, or so they would call themselves, would hear that word demon. And suddenly that's a no, that's a hell no. Right. Mm -hmm. But even as you just said, it didn't originate with Christianity. It comes from somewhere else. It comes from the cultures that preceded Christianity. So uh, to speak of these essences, these entities, one of the earliest names for them was daemon or genius, which has to do with a higher aspect of self. And to be quite honest, the explanation I gave before about consciousness and matter combining, the first thing they create is intellect. Well, very close to that birth of intellect would be the range of of essence that we would call the daemon or the the demon or these entities in other words these are purified essences that are a bit more removed from our objective experience so this is why we're not going to be able to see a sharp toothed fang demon stomping around if we sit down and make a ritual no because that's not where it exists it exists in the higher realms of consciousness that are closer to non-separation so for someone to give it a, a name that signifies that it's a bad thing or a good thing, that's that's human stuff. That's religious. That's superstitious. But just like there's a food chain in nature, there's a food chain in consciousness. And above our human objective experience, there's a range of consciousness that we would label as demons or angels. Does that say anything about... Um their nature or any intentions or perceptions they might have these beings well that's the thing we approach them as if they have those 
But the fact of the matter, at least as I've seen it, is they merely serve as functions. There's no uh, ill will or positive will. They're literally just functions of the universe. Okay, okay. I feel it. I feel it. And um, you used a very, like, a, a term that we all know in the occult, which is like the higher self, mm-hmm. but not everyone knows what this means. So would you even elaborate on that? Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> so I think I've been kind of hinting at it with some of the things that I mentioned just then. Um, the higher self would be closer to that intellect aspect Um in Sanskrit, it's called the Bodhi or the Mahat. And again, this is the first child from the divine masculine, divine feminine, the first child of consciousness and matter, this intellect, which would be known as higher self. A really cool thing about Kabbalah is that it lists a map, a physical, excuse me, a symbolic map that you can look at and see. And this higher self would be situated in the center, which is where we have Tiferet, the sun, where the Christ energy resides. Mm, I guess to make, to bring it a bit more practical, um, the higher self would be the aspect of us that we could, that we can reach that is closer to the divine nature of consciousness. Is any of this sounding, uh, too woo or fluffy? No, this makes sense. Okay. I think you, you might need to only elaborate on what like the Kabbalah is, um, because not everyone is familiar with the term, mm-hmm. or how or how you work with it. Let's let's perhaps go that way, that route. Okay, okay. So a lot of the Eastern traditions have at their goal um, reaching nirvana or enlightenment or that kind of thing. In the West, they talked about coming into communication with your holy guardian angel. Um, but since we live in this microwave generation of quick, fast, and I want it now, a lot of times we think, oh, we can do a little ritual and bam, I'm there. In all actuality, it's a process. It is a change of lifestyle. It's a gradual uh, refining of your subtle behavior, right? Because our personality and who we are is really defined by the little bitty subtle behaviors that are mostly ignored or missed, like how we react to things. Um, our triggers and all those little things that make up who we think we are. So spiritual practice is a practice of refining those subtle behaviors, becoming aware of all of them first off, because most people, they're not aware of themselves. They're not aware of the little things that they do, but to become aware of them and refine them, to purify them, these actions lead towards a lifestyle where you're more conscious of what you're doing. And this prevents, you know, negative things. This prevents situations that you would rather not have. But following in that path will lead to this uh, awareness of the Holy Guardian Angel, will lead to this nirvana, this enlightenment, which is a connection with that original source as opposed to separation from it. And how does one go about that? Like, let's say that... You know, I've had, I did have like a spark moment and I'm like, you know, I, I, I've heard you talk. Travis is right. We, we always think we're so free willy. Mm-hmm. We're not at all. But um, like, how do you deepen or c- 
clarify your self-awareness? How would that in a practical sense look? Um, you know, in a, in, a, in a world where of instant gratification, we like the, you know, give if, if I just, you know, throw money at you, can you like fix it for me? But what would it practically look like? Okay. Okay. This is, this is the best question that I think that all of us who consider ourselves human should ask. And I think the answer has always been detachment. And to clarify, I don't mean pretending like, oh, nothing's wrong. This is fine. This is fine. I mean, detachment as recognizing that this is experience that we have, this subjective experience is transient in nature. Everything comes and goes. So to attach to all these little things causes suffering, right? Buddha says that suffering causes is caused by attachment. And all the original texts say the same thing. Everything that we attach to, we identify with. Now, see, here's the thing. I mentioned consciousness and matter. The essence of consciousness is it being unchanging. The essence of matter is the opposite. It is constantly changing. So for us to be on a path leading to uniting with ultimate consciousness that is leading towards something that is unchanging. So for us currently being attached to matter, we suffer because everything keeps changing so much, right? I fall in love with this girl. Now she doesn't love me anymore. Now I'm suffering, right? I love my car and this thing and that thing and my bank account. As it changes, I suffer. So detachment is the answer. Detachment is you can live in this world. You can accumulate money. You can have sex. You can do all these things. But we we have to come to a point where we recognize that none of these things make who I am. They don't define who I am. I can't afford to attach to them because that causes suffering. I th- I thought we were completely opposite on this, but we're actually quite close to close to our belief system. Um however, I I I personally think like like uh Elisa Orsa worded this beautifully i fully echo her where like i came into this human body to have an human experiences therefore i want to experience the whole like spectrum of desires and feelings and emotions Mm. um which so but yeah but like the the attachment to things becomes like again like becomes this like poison to your identity which is problematic so yeah oh okay okay like i said we're closer than i thought originally okay 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 i love it so um so so how do you kind of fight in a world that constantly ex- from externally spews things and throws things at you? Mm-hmm. How do you keep to that, you know, that close like inner self and clarity? Like, do you do you do you? You do, do you not participate in like foods uh, or do you not participate in any desires, sex, women, uh, partners, etc.? Like, what does that look like? Okay, so those things, they're always going to be there. And I think that's that's one of the greatest realizations of this. Um, see, things like meditation and yoga, and I'm not just talking about stretching and, you know, tight pants. I mean... There's eight limbs of yoga and that physical yoga is only one of them. The others mostly deal with how we experience life. Um, But yeah, things like yoga, things like, uh, you know, goetic magic or any kind of magic, they should all lead us to a point where we start to realize that even the thoughts that bounce around in our head, they're going to be there, but that's not us. You know, personally, I don't really do any of that stuff. I don't go out to the, well, nobody goes out to the club, but. 
My life is pretty simple because I'm entirely focused on my study. But for the average person who does, you know, have to go to work and do this and do that, it would be really helpful to practice mindfulness, which is where you're able to stop and just observe what's going on in your head. These thoughts that will continue to bounce around, but you got to ask, where are they coming from? Where do they go? This isn't me. I observe them. I see them, but this, I, I can't define myself based on these thoughts. In other words, it starts in this very moment when you're able to see what's going on in this experience and understand that none of it is you. Shit. So you mean to tell us that we actually need to sit down and like experience and practice mindfulness and observe our thoughts? Oh boy. That doesn't seem very exciting. It's not exciting. But see, check that out, though. <laughs> Even the desire for excitement, right? Um, the, Richard Bandler, right? The guy who is credited for co-creating neurolinguistic programming. In the beginning of one of my favorite of his books, right? Um, Transformation, the gold one. He says, um, sheesh, I'm not going to quote it verbatim because I don't have it in front of me. But basically, as human beings, we are constantly seeking to jump from trance state to trance state. Right. We, we're, when we cut on the TV when we go to the fridge and scan for food, when we are on the bus or the train or riding to work, we're always seeking to go into a trance. That's the nature of the mind. It's constantly seeking to be occupied and excited. But what happens if we go the opposite direction and slow down? Now we can see this monkey mind jumping around. We can see it exposed for what it is. That's why it's not fun and it doesn't feel good to meditate because the mind is realizing that it's not in control anymore. And yeah, because we constantly want to be stimulated, mm -hmm. like entertained. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, beautiful, beautifully said. And I think it would behoove a lot of people to even on some basic fundamental level, understand how brain chemistry works and our um, necessity for like, what is it? Digital crack, I call it dopamine. Oh, yeah. right? And oh, we get so turned on by that. Give me, give me a shot of your digital crack. <laughs> me too. You digital know, crack. I, I have to like leave my phone in a, on the opposite end of the house just so I can sit down and study. Yeah. Cause the ping ping mm -hmm. and the brr, brr vibrate, like it, it, it distracts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it all happens on an unconscious level. That's why I said earlier, it's the, a lot of the self-improvement has to do with being aware of the subtle behaviors that often go unnoticed. If we could just do that, that will start leading to a life of improvement. How, how much of our daily lives and habits go unnoticed from the picking of the nose and the scratching of the inside of the ear? Some people do even grosser things. <laughs> the scratching of the butt. <laughs> you, you know it's women always complain about guys you know scratching their balls publicly and we're just like sir i can see you right right but he's unconscious <laughs> of that behavior yes. i hope so like, oh, if, yeah, it was yeah. if it was conscious it would be even worse <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. But I see stuff like that and, and I, I ask myself, you know, because, you know, I, I don't really judge people as far as like, you know, better or worse, but I see behavior like that. And I really think what separates what we call us humans from animals, 
right? Because animals are unconscious of their behaviors. They just do. And I see most of these people, they just do. They're not conscious of their behavior. So what really makes us different? That That is the question, right? Mm-hmm. I, I would even perhaps argue that it's the 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 possibility to conceptualize our emotions and feelings. Mm-hmm. But this, this is an unanswerable question, I think. I think what, so what do you think? How, how are we different? You're definitely in the right direction. Uh, according to the ancient texts, you know, and I'm going to keep referring to them because, like I said, my favorite quote in the Bible is, there's nothing new under the sun. And I've come to find that all of this magic shit, I'm talking about every ounce of it, is just taken from what I've seen that came out of ancient India. All of it, nothing, nothing is spared. But um, what they talk about is when one is just stuck in that ego level and stuck in the level of the five senses, we are very much a part of nature. Just like the squirrels are a part of nature and the trees are a part of nature. They operate according to a a pattern and a program and a cycle, which is predictable. It's like human behavior is predictable when we're on autopilot. But what allows one to really distinguish himself and attain towards godhood is analyzing these behaviors and rising above them, no longer being subjected to these cycles, right? Because when somebody pisses me off, then, you know, I'm going to get mad and retaliate. That's a cycle. That's a pattern. But what happens if you're able to observe that and rise above it, become detached from it, right? Now you can become a bit closer to that divine awareness that sees the cycles and the patterns of nature yet is no longer a part of them only humans really have the potential to do that so how do you engage in um or no let me rephrase that is the goal of like this coming closer to the divine um detaching ourselves is the one of the goals also because if you don't experience um negative and i'm using air quotes here negative things and emotions mm-hmm. um is the goal also to not experience positive ones okay that's a good question as well so the thing with that is the more that you okay so good and bad we know that good and evil doesn't exist i say we as you know people like you and i who study but good and evil doesn't exist in the way of thinking that it's a subjective, right? It depends on the person. It depends on the person's intention. It depends on the body. It depends on all these other things. So it doesn't have an intrinsic meaning. So likewise, when we speak of detachment, it includes the quote unquote good and bad, the pain and the pleasure. Because a lot of this autopilot, it's a binary system and it's based on two things, seeking pleasure and running from pain. Those two things control our behaviors. So becoming detached from pleasure also is included on this journey. Okay, okay. So what what active and conscious changes in your lifestyle did you make um, in your journey and as you are going? Hmm. I think for me, probably the biggest and the one that I've, I guess uh, make, made the most impact is uh, coming to the point where I was able to give up the alcoholism, 
right? Because for many years of my life, many, you know, probably a good 10 years or so, I was an alcoholic. I could not go through the day without drinking, you know, a fair amount. I was drunk very regularly and sober very rarely. And it was through my magical practice that um, I had to come to a point where I made a decision. I was not able to go much further unless I gave this up. You know, it was draining my pockets. It was hurting my relationships, but it had also become a crutch. I had emotional issues that I wasn't dealing with because I was running away from them by intoxication. So in an effort to go further and deeper in my practice, I had to give that up. And that allowed the space for clarity for me to really see what was going on in my head with my emotions and all those other things. But, um, you know, also small talk with folks that just, I just can't really do that anymore. <laughs> What's the point? Just a lot of little, uh, you know, human social things I had to cut out, but I don't miss them really. <laughs> I bet. Um, so hearing you talk and, you know, really see how you're like devoted to this um, practice of finding the truth, right? How do you balance um, the humane requirements that our body and this, this human life kind of requires, right? We, we need money. Mm-hmm. We need housing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we like our body needs it's like a machine, right? Like it needs some oils and things to kind of operate as smoothly as possible. Yes. So how do you, how, or if, if, if even, how do you balance those uh, concepts? Like, do you, did you choose to like live in a very like simple, like housing, you know, live bare, min- bare minimum financially, or is there room and space that is connected to, um, you know, as long, the better I am, as this vessel, the more I can devote myself to my practice or any, any ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another great question that I think uh, I've seen a lot of people ask, you know, when, when thinking about these things. Um, so I've been reading a lot of, I've been reading a lot about karma yoga recently, um, particularly the works of Swami Vivekananda. And I think he put it very well. I mean, we can, we can do anything that we want, but the whole thing is about being attached to them. So when it comes to money, I understand that, yes, my body does need the finances to be able to do what I got to do. I mean, hell, I even have a son, so I do have to have money to, you know, send to his mom, right, for him, because that's part of my responsibility and duty. So it's not that I neglect money or run away from it, but the actions that I make in life aren't about, oh, I got to get this bread. I got to get this cash. I got to make money. I got to get money. No. You know what I'm saying? Just like with food, I understand that my body needs it for sustenance, but I'm not always thinking about food. Likewise with sex, you know, I'm not on Tinder all day swiping for the next girl that I can smash. That that isn't my intent. You know, my intent is ever focused on my work, but the things that my body needs to sustain itself, I I provide for myself in the necessary quantity, but I'm not attached to those things. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, beautifully said. And so, okay, let's be honest. Like you don't do the hierarchy thing. I do. So I'm going to use my terms for a second. Like you are a teacher. People look up to you. People look up to you for guidance. Um, They take your worth, right? Like, so what is one of the biggest um, 
perhaps problems that you encounter with people who are following your, you know, your path to truth, um, or even like, because I feel like people think this, oh, you're, you're this occultist, like, just give me the secrets yeah, and I'll copy the secrets and just tell me the, tell me the good stuff. Yeah. Um, so what, what do you encounter that people, you know, get reality slapped with once they are kind of like under your wing or, you know, in your vicinity? Oh goodness. Um, you know, and, and I try my best to be uh, compassionate and uh, uh, caring for the person's current level, but um, I, I really don't like the fluff and the uh, what's the word? The fakery. It's nine o'clock. Thanks, Maxine. I, I don't mm-hmm. like the uh, hmm. What's a word for that stuff? The woo shit. Even though this is woo territory. I don't like that. The love and the light, the 5D consciousness, the Pleiadians and all that other stuff. Um, if, if you come to me with that, I'm, I'm going to have to break your heart a little bit because that's not rooted in uh, useful reality. Right. I really govern everything I do by two laws. Number one, is it useful? Number two, is it appropriate? If it doesn't meet that criteria, it has nothing to do with me. But um, yeah, most people that get into the occult or spirituality, they come with a certain number of those type of beliefs. And, um, you know, I guess part of my duty is to help them bring themselves to shave that off of them. Sometimes it's not painful and sometimes the person goes away with it. I lost a few people with due to that, but, you know, it's all good. Would Would you say that it's partially because... Um, you know, we live in a, in, on the Western hemisphere, we live in a Christian culture, regardless if we participate in Christianity or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's so interwoven in our economy and political system that once people kind of move out of, um, a religious form or system, they kind of look for a new system or infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. That, that seems to be exactly what happens. They, they bring what I call the religiosity with them. Mm. looking for something and someone to worship and something to, to demonize as the enemy. And, you know, a lot of blind faith. I think a lot of people need external authority on like a masochistic martyrdom. Ah, oh, yes, yes, yes. Tell me what to do. Yeah, you're right. That what? Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go. You're exactly right on that. And th- this is why I'm so grateful that the study of psychology and neurolinguistic programming came across my path, because I see that there are different kinds of people and we learn differently. Some people need external influence. That's how they function. Some people are internally motivated. That's how they function. So I try to adapt my teaching style to cater to, to both types. Um, usually when I communicate with people, I try to rapidly analyze the characteristics they have, and I try to cater the information to their type. So if someone is very externally influenced, I'm careful not to uh, put myself in this position in their eyes where they feel like they can't make their own decisions. But at the same time, I give them direction that they can work on. Likewise, if there's someone who's very independent based, I understand that um, they need to feel like they're doing it themselves. So I you know, provide the, the seeds for what they're looking for. Well played. Well done. Well done. Okay. If you would have to, if you would be allowed to only give one requirement or tip that 
is most es- essential in all of the practices, what would that be? Would that be like the meditation or mindfulness like you said, or some, some, something completely different? Hmm. Just one. Just one. Golly, wow. Just one. Hmm. If there had to be just and you're asking if one maybe technique or maybe one method, is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or maybe one activity, even however you interpreted it. Or I would definitely say do the work, <laughs> but really not the work. Yeah, I, I know. I, was, yeah. I guess a better way to to put that is to always keep in mind a process of introspection, right? To see how whatever it is you're studying or whatever you're getting into, how does it apply to you directly? What effect is it having on you? Like, how can you take this in and use it? Like, what does it do for you? What are you doing for it? How does it fit into your life? And I think that'll help you not waste time. So a lot of people want to learn about tarot, but they can't find a place in their life where it, you know, it's useful. A lot of people want to learn about astrology, but if you can't make it useful for you, then what's the point? You're, you're just wasting time. Even with meditation, if you don't see how this is useful to your growth, you know, then what are you what are you doing it for? But maybe just an attitude of introspection and applying these things to your life now. Yes. Yes. So you said the word time and that triggered a thought in my head. Um, the way we perceive time is fairly linear and limited, right? We, mm-hmm. we get, we get birthed, we live and we die. Um, do you believe in a like cycle of life or reincarnation or s- some form or shape? Yes. For most of my journey, I did not, but I do now. But that really starts to beg the question of, of who am I? What am I? You know, we're. Because, geez Louise, we're very complex. There's a lot to us, whatever the hell we are. So when we talk about reincarnation, what's being reincarnated? Is it the personality? Is it the body? Is it our thoughts? Is it our quote-unquote energy? What is it that's reincarnating? What answers did you find? I find that it's consciousness that doesn't change. Matter does change. It behooves us to find out more about what this consciousness is because when we find that we find the aspect of us that is eternal that does make itself apparent in all life regardless of what time so yeah my thoughts and my personality those things do crumble everything that's a composite has to separate the body is a composite right bones and blood and organs and soft squishy pink stuff all that has to deteriorate at some point But what part of us is not a composite? What part of us is singular, is indivisible? That's the part of us that's eternal. That's the part of us that continues to appear over and over and over again. Really, the only way to find that is to be still and go within. So is there like a, and again, like in your, your, your path, so is there a, a in between where consciousness 
um, kind of like pauses before it returns. If 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 it would be like a cycle, because if you look at the numbers, right? Like we we are overpopulated. We've never been this populated. Mm-hmm. Um, so where do these consciousness like come from, or do you have any ideas on that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so looking from an objective place, you know, if you look, if you want to look at it from an objective and finite place, it looks as if when we talk about reincarnation, it isn't just people, right? Because we're also dealing with evolution, the rocks, you know, the plants and the animals, all these things have a turn at growth, spiritual growth, awareness. So if we were to look at it objectively with the numbers, and this part's coming from me, not so much from the books. I think that uh, some of the people that we see haven't always been people. I think some of the people that we see um, may have been the awareness of those who've graduated from the animal kingdom. But looking at it subjectively, right, um, and this is from the books, consciousness is a singular entity that is present in all things, even if it is a very small amount. The number doesn't go up or down. But matter, matter does change. So there always will be new forms to hold consciousness, but it's the same consciousness. I love that. I love hearing all these different opinions on this. I love it. I love it. Okay, a big question, or maybe a small question. You seem to like flow through all of this, so you got it. What would your current self tell your, I don't know, seven-year-old self or like 10-year-old self? Mm. Jeez Louise. Let's see. Let me find that year because I often forget how old I am. What is that seven-year-old self? What year is that? Okay. All right. So back then. Um, I tell myself to stay happy. I tell myself not to get caught up in what other people feel about you. To find your happiness inside, not outside. Find it in what you create and what you enjoy to do, not on what other people are thinking of you. I think that was a big thing for me. The judgment and the... uh, you know, being told what was good to do and what was not to do. And I don't mean just on a behavioral level. I meant, you know, mainly mainly because the people that were telling me those things, it was coming from a very selfish place, from an ego place. And it took me a while to come to the point where I realized that only I can really make myself happy. Beautiful. I don't think it, I don't think we can get any better than that. Like, I think this is the high note. (laughs) I think this is the high note. Travis, tell everyone where we can find you. I will, of course, link everything in the episode description, but tell everyone anything you want to say, what you're doing or where they can find you, if you have any services you offer, anything. Okay, for sure. Um, You can always find me if you type in LVX777. I did a pretty good job of uh, branding that. But also Travis Magus. 
primarily you can find me on Instagram. That's where I'm the most busy, LVX777. And on YouTube, I got more than enough videos to uh, get you up to speed if that's what, if that's where you want to get. Um, as far as services that I offer, we're currently doing a book study, right? We're going through a book called The Kibalion. But, um, you know, the book changes every couple months because we do one chapter at a time. Um, you can certainly sign up for that through my YouTube channel. So you just go to YouTube and find Travis Magus or LVX777. You'll see my face. And there's a, a membership button there where you can join and uh, get the details to be a part of that book study. Also with that is a Magus Academy meeting where we meet every Thursday evening. And um, sheesh, we go in sometimes 18 hours. I think that's been the longest, but YouTube only keeps 11 of those hours. But um, yeah, you can sign up to the membership and we discuss, you know, people who come in new, we help them get acquainted with the things that they want to learn about. I always, always, always uh, give out book suggestions so you can research for yourself. And um, we're all pretty open-minded people. Um, Nobody's dogmatic and judgmental. It's... Mm -hmm. There's an aspect of community that we all understand and appreciate that it's good to let people have their own space to express themselves, you know. But, um, yeah. I, you did an amazing job on that. Absolutely. Okay, so we have YouTube, Instagram, study group. Um, yeah. I have courses and stuff that I'm, I'm working on. They're not available yet, but um, they will definitely be there in the future beautiful Travis thank you so much thank you this was so good okay everyone this was Travis um, here at Fearless Wealth and um, check all the links check all the description check all his workout like share comment get involved get involved and um, time to level up thank you Travis thank you Thank you so much for listening here to Fearless Well. Thank you for taking the time. I would really, really, really appreciate it if you share this episode or this podcast with anyone who you think might be interested, if you liked it or if you didn't like it, and why that would be if it had sparked any inner thought process or inner any emotions. Um, screenshot it, tag me, Bar Queen B at Instagram. And let's have the conversation. Meanwhile, come check the website out, meetmeatthebank.com. I have recently pre-launched a epic, epic, epic course on how to dom, aka how to embody, embody the dominatrix archetype. How to stay firm, how to be boundaryless, how to be earth, just head on in life. And as always, I still have to Course of biohacking and life hacking in our menstrual cycle and money pleasure creativity with amazing Jesse magic called the blood host. And you can find the link in the description. Get on board. Let's just have these fun conversations because we want to evolve to whatever extent we deem possible or important. But anyway, I see you back at Fearless Well, and I'll talk to you next time.